Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Ice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend hobby time on and our hobby dollars. It can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, it has been a while since I have had my guest on today. He is a regular on the show, uh, and he is one of the great analytical minds in Melbourne Wargaming, at least in my opinion, and he's so much fun to play. I can play him any day of the week and have a good time which is handy because he is now my neighbor. So, uh, a gentleman who I've probably played more in the last year than anyone else in recent history. Of course, I am talking about Lee Avery. Welcome back to Cast Dice. Hey, Lee Hoadley, neighborino. Hey. So, Lee, we have a lot to talk about today. I mean, you and I are co-TOing Melbourne's next big bolt action event a two-day whopper of an event easter weekend and we're going to get to that later in the show now there are some other little bits and pieces we're going to touch on along the way but we also want to talk about the bolt action faq that just happened because there are there are just a lot of gnashing of teeth and um the sky is falling and i i think like we should probably talk about this and, you know, you and I have been playing some games and enjoying some bolt action, and you've just finished a really cool hobby project. Let's let's start there, my friend, because your buffaloes are fantastic. We've talked about them before, but now they are actually done, and you're playing games with them. Tell us about your new U.S. Army, man, because they are cool. Yeah, so I started this project uh, quite a number of years ago, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sort of formulated on a drive home back from Canberra following mm-hmm. CanCon one year. Uh, I think it might have been 2019. I think it was. CanCon, uh, where I took out best themed army for my paratroopers mm-hmm. that year, the British paratroopers, where I had the uh, 24 well bikes. Nice. Uh, so it was a bit of a, a silly army, but uh, Pete, the TO, quite liked it. And I was driving home, as you do. It's a, it's a good eight-hour trip and uh, just chatting with the boys in the car and sort of tossing around ideas for different armies and um, wanting to sort of take it out again, thinking, what do I come back with? And uh, came up with the idea of, yeah, running the Buffaloes. And it was based partially on Warlord producing a, a set of them at the time. And I did a bit mm-hmm. of reading about them and the actions they did in Europe and uh, particularly in Italy, it's where they were deployed, uh, and just the concept of you know World War Two. You know, it's really we feel like it's a long time ago, but it's also not really a long time ago in history's you know timeline. But you know, it was segregated unit segregation still existed in the states at the time. Um, so I thought it would be a good little hobby project to do mm-hmm. something a bit different. Uh, so yeah, I came up with a, a couple of different lists at different point values. Uh, obviously, I've had events in between, and so I've had to do a few different lists here and there. But the basic concept was come up with a thousand-point army for CanCon specifically the following year. Uh, unfortunately, COVID. Uh, uh, no, uh, we had bushfires. Um, of course. Started twenty twenty, which we forget because of obviously COVID's been the hot topic last two years. But mm-hmm. uh, pro- just prior to that, uh, here in Australia, we had some really bad bushfires over that January. And uh, my uh, family-in-law uh, work on fam- farmland, 
um, up in the country. And so I spend a bit of time up there um, on the weekends, just helping out and preparing and that sort of thing in case the fires headed their way. Uh, fortunately, they didn't. Um, but what that meant was just didn't go to CanCon that year because just the risk um, not being around if help was needed. So, yeah, I didn't uh, finish them. I'd done a fair bit of work. They'd been assembled and undercoated and base colours and everything and uh, had I had the uh, motivation and the, the purpose. I would have finished them. But as it was, we then had COVID hit and uh, I sort of I put them back in the cupboard um, since I wasn't going to CanCon that year. And I didn't really touch them for the last two years. Uh, well, not quite, but the last 18 months or so. And I, I pulled them out again last year during uh, another one of our localised lockdowns and decided, you know what, they were like 70% done. Let's mm-hmm. just get them finished. So spent a bit of time on them. And then uh, over Christmas as well this year, uh, sort of finalised them. Uh, so, yeah, they're all done. So I've got about I think it's 50-something infantry painted up. Uh, I got distracted in the interim as well with uh, Korean War, so I ended up painting up a bunch of vehicles for that and then painted up some extra units for that as well, um, all on the same theme. So you know, rather than just finishing what I needed to do, I got distracted and built home and painted other stuff as well, which for me it's all about just getting continuous hobby done. And because I play a lot of other systems also that aren't bolt action, you know, I had other painting projects that I did as well in that time. But uh, the Buffaloes are done. They've had a few runs out in the last few months. Uh, and as a... and that's a pretty big jump from you because traditionally, I mean, as you said, you've been playing your British Airborne for, for quite a long time. Now, I know you've used some of my armies and some other people's armies in casual games and occasional events like when we did Bolt Action World Series where you show up and there's an army on a table and you play using that army. I know mm. you've played other things, but your predominant experience in bolt action has been with veteran troops. And for you, going to a largely regular force, if not entirely regular force, is pretty significant, right? Yeah. I mean, the paratroopers I ran as full veterans, uh, except for the observer. I just took him as a regular because that's how he comes. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, and I'm not going to knock back a free observer. Uh, and, yeah, so the the Americans I'm running is completely regular in all the lists, um, which is sort of a bit of a... But, A, it's easier for me in a game that I can just say everything's regular. I don't have to worry about, oh, is this my veteran unit? Is this my regular unit? Are these guys inexperienced, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, so it's part simplicity, part... Um, just sort of keeping in theme. I mean, they were they were trained individuals, but they weren't combat veterans right. when they uh, did the elite deployment, which is what I've based it off. So the actual theater list is the uh, Rodanzio list. Yeah. Now I know that a lot of people think specialist troops, like the Nisei, for example, uh, which were also another segregated U.S. Army unit, mm. they have the tough fighter rules in bolt action. But as far as buffaloes go, other than cosmetic changes to the actual infantry models themselves, having different heads on the models that Warlord already makes, and Warlord does make great buffalo soldier heads, they are largely just regular... uh, I mean, there isn't anything extra in there. The only thing that I can think of in your list that is different than my regular U.S. list is I believe you have dual bazookas. Yeah, and that's just the theatre list. Yeah. That's not um, 
anything to do with special rules for buffaloes or anything. That's just the specific theater list, which you can use regular American GIs for that list as well. It's exactly. just I've chosen to use that to represent uh, the force in the Italian campaign, which was really around going from south to the north and hitting the mountains and busting open bunkers and a lot of that sort of work. So, Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to, speaking of Italy, the next Italian book where we start to get uh, like Monte Cassino and whatnot where your Americans can fight alongside my Americans and or against my Germans, and we can uh, we can get some good themed games going there, because that'll be pretty cool. Yeah, looking forward to doing sort of campaign-y stuff as well. Now that we can get people together a bit more and mm-hmm. get some games happening, certainly keen to make it more regular like we used to. So right. Get back to normal, or the old normal. Exactly. Well, at some point in the lockdown madness, I actually sat down and like you, I finished off a couple of bits and pieces for bolt action. uh, And way early in the lockdown piece, I painted or finished painting a unit that only appeared in the Empires and Flames book, which was a Japanese AA heavy AT gun, which I've been wanting to put in a Japanese army for a long time. I had the 3D printed model from Shapeways back before 3D printing was, I guess, more prevalent. I guess I've just been sitting on it ever since. But it was really cool to get that painted up. And then why I bring this up is because when you were playing your Buffaloes the other day and we were playtesting one of the missions for our event that's coming up in Easter, I brought out uh, my Great Coat Japanese army, which I've been dying to play with for a long time. And it was great to be able to have a heavy AT gun in a Japanese army, man, is it cool. That said, I don't think I fired it as anything but a light howitzer the entire game, but it was a wonderful deterrent to throw in the middle of the board to sort of block off the middle objective because it sort of forced you to put your Sherman on the other side of the board, and that made a big difference in my game plan. Was it weird for you to face a Japanese army that had... (laughs) actual anti-tank assets uh not really i i think i mean you look at every force availability they've all got anti-tank abilities yeah options uh i mean bolt action at its basics is you know regular riflemen's 10 points and that's consistent across all armies they don't uh treat different armies with different points levels with the same unit uh, it's just pretty standardised. So most of the time, it's really around picking what sort of tank you're taking, uh, whether you're taking, you know, inexperienced regulars or ex- veterans, mm-hmm. and uh, what any tank option or you know hot, uh, artillery option you want to choose, if you will. Um, that's what the core of it really boils down to. Definitely. Now, I I feel like I want to. I have a, a lot to say about the Japanese and what you just said. Um, But I think that will tie to what we're actually going to talk about next. So I might jump to that, which is the the newest Warlord bolt action FAQ, which came out in the last couple of days and has a lot of people talking. Now, when I first opened the document and read through it, I thought there was a couple of nice little takeaways, nothing huge. And we'll talk about those in a second. But then there was one ruling in particular that has a lot of people really upset. And I don't think they're upset here so much as they are in metas more like the United States and the UK, 
where the flamethrowers are more prevalent. And I guess we should jump to the FAQ. Lee, I have three takeaways from the FAQ to talk about today. Um, I know that you haven't had as much chance to look at it. Um, should I just run through those and you can add any thoughts you have? Yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, let's start easy with a book that is now close to your heart, uh, the, the U.S. book. For those of you who've been playing U.S. for a long time, as Lee was talking about a second ago, you know a rifleman is a rifleman is a rifleman generally across all of the nations in bolt action. It's one of the things we love about this game. And things are generally consistent. The things are really consistently pointed across the game. It's one of the things I really like about the game. That said, in the U.S. book, there has been a typo for a long time for the sniper team. Now it is correctly priced at 50 points for regular and 65 points for veteran. I like that. Likewise, uh, just house cleaning issue, the T28, and I do like this because I have two of them in my Finn army, there is an option of, in the errata for the Soviet Union, which drops because it has a pintle-mounted MMG as one of its options. And there was no rear-facing MMG on the turret, which, of course, the real thing had uh, and my model has. So now the pintle-mounted AA MMG is now the rear-facing MMG, and you can pay for an additional pintle-mounted MMG if you so desire, which, you know, is, is great if you want all the machine guns. But I don't know if you ever want to count that beast, given that it has pretty crappy armor, as uh, open-topped. But uh, I, I do love the rear turret machine gun. Uh, my Japanese tanks have them in, in spades. And I love driving up to people and firing a gun one direction and a gun the other, pin sprinkling at its best. Clearly, these aren't ground-shaking changes, Lee. Do you have any strong opinions on these? No, I think it's just... Um really just trying to get things a bit more historically accurate in one sense. And the other side of it is balancing the points to be reflective of where everyone else is. Um, to be honest, I didn't know that snipers in the US book were slightly cheaper. <laughs> I just assumed they were the same points. I think they were actually more expensive. Um, well, it was more expensive. Yeah, I, I honestly don't remember. I just remember them not being correct. Right. Well, I, didn't, uh, I don't have a sniper in my US Army, so I've never actually had to look at the points. Yeah, there you go. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, shall we? Now, if we go to the FAQ, the very first frequently asked question that has been added to the list is this. Flamethrowers ignore the fanatic special rules because they're forced to make a morale check regardless of the models lost with all negative modifiers to morale applied. But units with a stubborn rule ignore all modifiers to morale when making a morale check. Um, am I, and of course this is the person asking the question, am I correct in understanding that units with a stubborn special rule are far less likely to rout from flamethrowers than fanatics who would normally stay to fight to the last man? Now the warlord ruling on this was the morale test caused by flamethrowers simply overrules the 50% casualty rule, but the fanatic ignore the test for taking casualties altogether as long as there's two or more of them left. So fanatics do not take tests when attacked by flamethrowers. Now, I'm pretty sure that's how I've been playing it 
all along, or maybe I've been playing it both ways over the years. Um, all I know is I've been hit with a lot of flamethrowers over the years. No, I've definitely been taking casualties with my Japanese, but I don't think this is a big deal. I guess the reason I don't think this is a big deal, mainly because I guess in Australia, we tend to restrict ourselves a little bit more than in the US and the UK. And our metas aren't largely overrun with flamethrower teams and such devices. So you don't typically see armies here with more than one or possibly two flamethrowers. Uh, and so I, I guess I don't have a giant gnashing of teeth of this. And it's not me in the corner, you know, rubbing my paws together, evilly cackling that I have two Japanese armies because I do. And I'll get to the second one in a second. I don't think this is a big deal at all. Now, I have, I've spoken to a few people online, um, actually quite a few people online in the last 36 hours-ish, and a lot of people are upset about this. Likewise, a couple of people are saying that they're upset because it also means the Japanese are immune to Tiger Fear, but since Tiger Fear has been nerfed, what, multiple times? I don't think this is a big deal at all. I guess, to be fair, people who occasionally face the Bamboo Horde, which is, what, six units of 15 Bamboo Spearmen, mm -hmm. um, one of the hard counters to that list is, you know, spamming flamethrowers. But if you're letting a, a unit, or sorry, an army made up of a bazillion Bamboo Spearmen backed up by multiple heavy-slash-medium howitzers and all the toys, if you're letting that into your events... Like, uh, I that's guess. That's on you. Yeah, I guess that's on you. And I guess you'd need multiple flamethrowers for that. But I guess that's just not our culture. Um, Lee, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, look, events A, that I run and B, that most people um, here in Australia run, generally put a cap of one flamethrower per force. Yeah. Um, and we also do army list checking. We're not running events with 100 people, right? So we can manage the volume of list checking just to make sure people aren't going over the top because we want everybody to come along and have a good time. Uh, we don't want somebody to be running around with six units of bamboo fighters and just ruining everybody else's day um, because, you know, it's not fun. If someone's brought along a themed list and it's historical and all that sort of thing, it's probably not going to have the same level of power. So I think we're quite self-regulated down here um, as opposed to some of the others. And look, I mean, you can talk about people gnashing their teeth on the internet I don't follow any of the UK or US groups on Facebook or online at all, so I never see any of this stuff. So without people telling me that people are upset, I don't know that they're upset. Um, and I think it's it's makes sense, the rule, how they've worded it. I think, yeah, they just ignore the flamethrowers. But end of the day, flamethrowers, if they work, they cause a lot of casualties anyway. You'd have to have a pretty big, beefy unit. You know, if they're not going down and they're just standing there, hoping to charge you or whatever, you've got a whole army's worth of stuff. Um, and there's not too many lists that can run multiple flamethrowers anyway, as it is. But if, you're, if your meta is lots of people taking huge amounts of Japanese bamboo stick fighters and running at you, well, then that's your meta. And that's up to you as a local community to have a think about what you want the game to be. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I know there was at least one person in Australia that has run that army. 
Uh, and he claimed um, it was Anthony from the old Ghost Army podcast, but he said it wasn't that good. He was running the bamboo spear horde backed up with, I think, two heavy howitzers um, or two medium howitzers, and he said it it just wasn't that effective, like really losing the ability to shoot really hurt the ability to throw out pins. Of course, I'm I'm remembering this from a long time ago. Um, I haven't talked to Anthony in years, so... I, I'm 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 paraphrasing here, but I did want to represent that it had appeared here and it was run and he did run it at an event. Um, he did not win with it um, in that event. But a lot of people are saying like this really throws the Japanese to the top of the pile and no one's going to be able to beat them. However, having seen a couple of people post online, I know, for example, Pete West, um, our old buddy on the show slash t- longtime T.O. of CanCon, um, now retired did say who's winning with Japanese in Australia. We haven't seen Japanese at the top of many tournament winning lists. If ever, I I can't think of one. And I know in other places they have, but I think it's when people are taking skew lists filled with native irregulars and lots and lots of howitzers and that sort of thing. But if you're going to be doing that, you could do that with almost anything. And I know the idea is that you get free fanatic, but you know there are other armies that have great special rules too that win way more consistently and more regularly. I think one of the reasons why I love the Japanese army as a player, besides the fact that I grew up in Japan and I'm fascinated in Japanese history and the culture, is I like that it's limited. I really, because the way... Um, that the Japanese sort of looked at technology going into the war, the military leadership, they were pretty cutting edge up until 1937, 38, and then they sort of stopped innovating. Their rifles were the, the Arasakas. They used that throughout the war. The submachine guns, the Type 100s, didn't come out till much later in the piece, and even then only sporadically. Their pistols were famously um, pretty lousy and misfired regularly and, you know, would jam and not work. Like, their small arms just were not great. The machine guns improved over time, but even then they weren't great as well. Um, The tanks worked well in Manchuria and China, where there weren't a lot of uh, armored opposition. But when you actually start facing, when Japanese tanks started facing the U.S., they immediately saw that their tanks were not up to the same standard. And they were innovating that. But by the time the war ended, all of the resources had been dumped into the Navy and into the air power for the most part. So the, the arrogance that the Japanese, you know, basic riflemen was superior to everywhere else on everyone else on the planet had basically meant that technologically they were left behind. And that tracks down into the bolt action army list. And if you are trying to run something vaguely historical, you're you're often really limited like you might get one tankette that is awesome or a tank that's pretty cool but rarely can you put the both in the same list um likewise you know certain guns and certain units are only appearing with other combinations of gear and the japanese list in and of itself is very challenging but also because of the way that squads were equipped you can't take the dick kicking in hand-to-hand combat submachine gun tooled out squad in the Japanese list that you can in just about every other list in the game, including partisans for crying out loud. I think the only 
squad that um, can take more than one or possibly two SMGs in the entire Japanese book are their paratroopers who can take three SMGs. So you you really aren't going to be facing that. Now, people are saying that this ruling breaks the Japanese. I would argue that it doesn't make a huge difference. What I think, the only thing (laughs) that has really broken the Japanese army list over the years is possibly the addition of the Manchurian horse unit from Empires in Flames because they come stock standard as just regular riflemen. In fact, they are you know, pretty cut and paste of the basic Japanese rifle unit. I think it's a little bit smaller, but you can give them tough fighter. Now, if you give Japanese riflemen tough fighter, now that's broken. I think that if I was ever going to play in a strong event with unlimited listing, that would be the first unit I look at because I think that's broken AF. But I don't see this as a problem because the Japanese list is so balanced. It often leads to people, you know, not being able to play them effectively. And I, I hate to say this, maybe hordes of inexperienced troops with big guns isn't the best way to play Japanese. And I know I've said that on previous episodes, um, you know, it might work for other people. I've, had horrible luck with that list and i played it i've tried a few different variations of it not the bamboo horde but the militia you know a lot of basic inexperienced militia guys back up with kempatai to because they have green and it bumps them up but i think that the japanese are much better as a regular army or heaven forbid veterans like i really rate japanese paratroopers and i don't think that the flamethrower rule is going to really hurt that especially with you consider what you said lee off air which is when a japanese unit is hit by a flamethrower they're still going to be taking mass casualties from said flamethrower yes the the morale check makes a lot of things disappear but how often is something hit by a flamethrower and then just you know stops being effective afterward because so many things die out of it right yeah that's it that's um yeah, and, and you've got the rest of your army. You should be trimming down their units anyway. I think um, how many armies, I suppose, just thinking locally, even use flamethrowers. It's very few. Most were in a Jeep. Pick your targets, right? Drive up. Mm-hmm. Shoot something first, put some pins on it, flamer it. You can trim them down. And if they're in the open, I mean, it's if they're in the open and they're just standing there because they want to get a charge off, well, that's the optimal time to thin them down. I think the issue is people that spam it out and run a whole bunch, but it's no different to, you know, some theme lists allowing multiple light tanks or something, people running machine gun stewards all over the place and just causing trouble. Um, I think if, when I think about my army construction, right, it's only got X amount of units to deal with anti-tank. If I come up against a lot of armor, it becomes difficult. Um, so if you build a balanced force, you're going to struggle against the skew forces potentially. Um, which is why you take skew forces is to try and mess up the meta. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I love a skew force. I love doing something a little different in, in the game. Um, I like a good challenge, but I guess when I do it, it, it and I got to sound like I'm talking myself up here. I try to do it in a way that isn't using the most efficient units in the game. Um, I was talking to our good friend Alistair in the in Scotland, and he sent over a couple of lists because he's curious about, you know, would his lists be allowed to be run in our event? 
Mm. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, that that's a great army. It's very solid. It's just a list of the most efficient units in the game. And then he sent me another list. And I was like, yep, that's yet another list of all the efficient units in the game. And then again and again. And it's just, but I'm not throwing shade at Alistair. He's a very good player. And he uh, just recently appeared in the most recent Snafu episode, in fact, um, with on their top player showcases, because he is. But he's also playing in a very different meta than we are, where mm. the norm is to run lots of efficiencies, to find the best army list that has the best units in it, and then just run it again and again. As Dano and Judson used to say on Bolt Action Radio back in the day, you know, and I, I'm not throwing this at al i'm just throwing it at you know efficiency in general you know slow clap congratulations you figure out how to break the game the game is very easy to break it's it's how you play it with the people around you to have fun and in talking to al and a bunch of people recently you know the idea is like you know i i have been describing myself as the filthiest casual player around these days because I really am anti-competition for a variety of reasons that I'm sure I've covered before and I, I really don't need to do now. But in those conversations, like, yeah, but I like to play at the, at the sharp end. And it's like, yeah, okay, dude, I get it. But in the game where, where you and I played recently, Lee, we were playing to the best of our ability. It wasn't like we were, you know, just sitting there. Like we were actually concentrating. We had game plans. We were mm. trialing scenarios for a tournament and we were running well-tuned lists. No, they're not full of the most efficient units in the game, but they are well-constructed army lists and we we're playing to win. And it was a good time. Now, I I think that people get this notion in their head that if you're running hard lists, you're somehow a better player. I guess I want to get on my soapbox and throw back, are you? I guess I'm going to be controversial for a second and say something negative on cast ice, which is something I try not to do. But if you're such a good player, why aren't you trying to win with something less efficient? That's the challenge. Why not do it? Lee, am I being unfair here? No, I think it's, there's, a, there's a skill in making a list, right? And then yeah. there's a skill in playing a list. And I know from back when I played 40K and I worked out a list and I honed it and practiced it and I got really good at it and, you know, but then give me a different list and I wouldn't perform as well because I didn't know the list. I didn't know how it functioned as well, right? Yeah. So a lot of it comes down to you practicing a lot and you see that with people that play a lot mm -hmm. turning up to events, they perform better because they know what works and what doesn't. Um, I think... List building is part of it, but you can get a list off the internet, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there is certainly a thing to say, well, pick up pick up somebody else's list at the event and see how you go. Yeah. And look, maybe that's an event we run one day. It's, you know, everyone builds your list and you turn up on the day and we're going to shuffle all the lists and you get handed out one randomly each round and see how you go. I wonder if yeah. the meta would be to come up with the worst list possible for that event then, you know? Like, <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think, like, do you just run a bucket load of inexperienced guys? But then you've just got a sea of men on the table, so you're just putting out a lot more bodies. So can somebody actually physically remove that many bodies? And if you've got large units of inexperienced, you get shot at, just go down. Mm -hmm. makes it hard for them to hit you. You don't take many casualties. They haven't actually dealt with you. 
and you've got more dice in them, so you will get more activations. So there's a balancing factor there. Um, you know, I think the only way you could take a build a list that's really crappy for somebody else to play would be to load it up with trucks because they're just dice. They're easy to destroy. They're cheap, but they're not going to do much, right? They're not going to have a big... You can move units into position, but they're going to die. And if they've got people in them, rifles can take it down, right? So... Yeah, but if you put machine guns on those, that is literally well, not, currently not the all, meta. <laughs> yeah, I, all, I see what you're saying. I'm just I'm clarifying though, right? for those at home. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like how do you build a bad list? Like, oh, everyone's – like you'd have to take units and put light mortars in every list, right? Because you're spending points that are going to probably not get anywhere near their points back. Some people but love light mortars, man. They do, I know. <laughs> and maybe if you put 12 of them in, two of them are going to hit each turn. Yeah. So maybe in aggregate over the game they will perform. Um, so yeah, I just I think people can sit there and say, um, you know, it's, there's there's good lists and there's you can certainly play a meta. But I think a lot of it just comes down to just your ability as a player and and what you come up against against the day, right? Yeah. You run a bunch of bamboo fighters and you come up against a bunch of armored vehicles with machine guns on them. You you know, bunch of wrecky jeeps with twin MMGs on them pumping out 10 shots, like they're just going to back off. You're not going to, you can run at them, but they're going to get quite a few rounds shooting at you. And, you know, you come up against a heavy armored thing. What's your squad going to do against, you know, three machine guns shooting at you each turn, thinning you down before you even get close enough. And you got to try and crack a armor nine tank. Mm -hmm. Different sort of thing. Um, So it's arguments against everything. I think it's just, the main point is find something you like the theme of, build your list, and uh, have some fun. Exactly right. Uh, I guess I've been, if I'm sounding a little harsher than usual, I guess it's because, A, I'm exhausted. Um, you can probably hear it in my voice. But I guess I, I've been talking to a couple of people recently who have been put off from playing bolt action and have given up on it um, because... They've had bad experiences in games playing folks who are um, perhaps, you know, playing a little more win at all costs than the rest of us. Um, and I'm speaking not just locally. I'm talking about uh, in other countries as well. I've been you know, talking to folks through the Cast Dice page and through my personal Facebook page. And they're just saying, hey, I saw that you've been working on the G.I. Joe stuff and playing games with it. It's so cool. But, yeah, I've given up on Bolt Action because... Uh, I've had bad times with it because because people are running harder lists and they're not enjoying it. Um, and that I, I've been thinking a lot about that. Part of that was when we were finishing lockdown and then I wasn't getting to play games. And that kind of made me bummed out about the state of bolt action in general. But then as things opened up and we started playing, and you guys can probably see this from the episodes that we've been putting out on Cast Ice. There's been a lot of bolt action content because I got really excited for bolt action. And I'm still really excited for bolt action. Clearly, we're running an event for it over Easter uh, and still playing lots of games. But I, I do think about this a lot. I, I know that I know people talk about version three all the time and people talk about all the rules changes they want to put in. But God, I just I'm just having fun playing the, the game as it is. I guess going back to what I was saying, so I'm not just rambling um, one friend in particular, a uh, good friend, Rick Vav, old 40K buddy. You know him, Lee. I know him. He's an awesome guy, one of the nicest guys in wargaming, has recently given up on bolt action. And it 
it makes me really sad that he did because he's such a sweet dude and I would love to see him playing in every event. But this week he came by and he dropped off his army. He said he didn't want it anymore because he wouldn't be playing bolt action again. And he's clearing space in his house. And it was really sad. And I've been thinking about that a lot. But also, I guess there was a bolt action's loss, um, I guess, has been weirdly nostalgic and has given me a, a happy little moment this week as well. In losing Rick, he returned my first Japanese army to me that I painted way back when and took to CanCon a million years ago. That when my wife and I first met and started dating, um, I painted while we were traveling through France. And so I have all these nostalgic memories with that particular army and was sad to see it go. But without it, I never would have gotten the great co-Japanese army I have now. Um, and now I have the other one back again. And so I now have two Japanese armies, which is what I mentioned before. And so it's it's kind of cool that I now have a jungle Japanese force, not just the, the cold weather one, but it is at a terrible cost of losing a friend in the game. And so I, I guess, man, just folks, when you're playing people, try to think about your opponent and their good time and try not to ruffle stomp people, especially if they're learning the game. Like it's just we're losing too many people, both new players coming in and old players just leaving in, in wholesale, it seems. How many voices from the bolt action community um, podcasting world in particular have disappeared over the course of the system. And I know some of that has to do with frustrations over Warlord and additions and whatnot. But a lot of people are just sick of playing the same thing over and over again. And it's not the rules. It's the same army lists again and again um, because they're, quote-unquote, the best thing. And it's all the efficiencies. It, I don't know. Lee, am I, am I making sense or am I just rambling? Yeah, no, I understand where you're coming from. I think when people, I think there's a difference between events and playing in your play groups or your local club and that sort of thing. And I think events tend to bring out people a bit more focused on um, playing the games to the rules and, and trying to win and, and being competitive. And that's the whole point of competitive events is to test your medal. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, and I look, it's a shame that Rick's decided he doesn't want to play bolt action because it's a good system and I, I think he enjoyed it. But, you know, if you have a bad experience um, at an event, my response is, well, go play with your play group. Don't, don't go to events if they're, if they're a um, competitive thing. If you like the game and you enjoy it, you like the hobby side of it, then pursue it. You don't need to play with against people that you don't want to play with. Um, you know, and that goes for anything. If you don't don't like the people down at your local tennis club, go find another tennis club or take up golf. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like anything. Don't waste your time on something that you don't get enjoyment from. But at the same time, don't let other people ruin your fun. Um, so you know, a bit harsh, but no man, I hear I, you. I've certainly, you know, I, you know, like you, I played competitive forty k for quite a long time and. I got to the point where I just I wasn't enjoying it anymore, so I stopped and went and yeah. played different games. And I've went a couple of years without playing 40k, and then some friends said, "Hey, why don't you come and play this event?" And I dusted off some models and flew to Adelaide and played an event for a weekend, and it was good time. And part of that was because of the people, but you know, I then put the models back in the mm -hmm. <laughs> back in the cupboard, and I never played with them again after that. And it wasn't because 
I didn't like the system or I didn't like the people. It was just I just was burnt out by it and just uh, needed change. And look, and I think some people in the um, community certainly have played a lot of bolt action and they've probably just got to a point where they want to move on to something different. And life changes as well. People have kids. Mm -hmm. That takes people out of the hobby. People change jobs. They move. Maybe their local play group falls apart, whatever. You know, there's a whole range of reasons why people come and go into game systems. Um, am I going to play Bolt Action forever? I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah. not. Exactly. I mean, Who knows? I'm sitting here. I've got, I've got my cupboards open at the moment because I was pulling rule books out earlier. And I've got some Flames of War Vietnam sitting on my uh, airbrush table. I've got some uh, Privateer Press Warcaster sitting on my painting area. Uh, I've got my Bolt Action Buffalo sitting on the uh, desk as well because I was doing a patch job. And then in my cupboard, I'm looking at it, I've got my Korean army, I've got my, uh, what else is up there? I've I'm waiting got for your Marvel, Bowl. man. Where's the Marvel? Oh, I'm getting, I've got, I'm just literally looking down the shelves. I've got Bowl, Blood Bowl, two teams sitting there. I've got my War Machine stuff for Privateer Press, but even that, there's three different armies there. Then in the cupboard, I've got my, um, got my Marvel stuff plus... Uh, what else is there? I've got the Blackstone Fortress stuff, which I've yet to even mm -hmm. take off the sprue. Uh, so, you know, I've got a few... We need to talk about that for the record, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think probably part of that is how Games Workshop does its limited run games mm -hmm. these days and, and the, uh, the need that if you're interested in it, you've got to get on quick. But, you know, I mean, I've got plenty of games there and I've got multiple teams, forces, armies, whatever you want to call them for mm -hmm. those systems as well. And that's just the stuff I've got in there. Oh, there's Kill Team as well. I forgot about my Kill Team. I was going to say. Yeah, I was yeah. waiting for that. <laughs> I've got like three teams sitting there, one painted, two to go. Uh, so, you know, it's... Yeah, we've Some people only play one game, and that's that's how they are. And that's that's how I was, for you So I played 40K, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Double a little bit in Warhammer. Oh, Warhammer. Oh, I've got... Yep, I was going to say Warhammer Warfare Fantasy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I've got two armies there. So I'm just, got a few. You know, I'm not not short of stuff, and that's and I've sold off a lot of stuff over the years as well. Games game systems that I've gone into and decided mm -hmm. I didn't want to pursue, or local playgroup just moved on. You know, so I think talking about people no longer playing a system, there's a whole heap of reasons, and it's maybe due to individuals, and a lot of the time it's not. So yeah, I I know a few people. I mention specific people for specific reasons. Um, and it's not because of one person in particular. It's it's more to do with, um, you know, just get people getting tired of facing the same thing over and over. Again. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's, but, I mean, part of that is people having the capacity to try different stuff. I mean, let's be clear, I just spent three years getting my buffaloes done, and really that's taken a long time. So anyone playing me in the interim was probably playing my paratroopers. Mm -hmm. um, but even there, and this is, I think, the thing with bolt action, uh, I built the core of my paratrooper army and then I went, oh, I'll just build all the different artillery mm -hmm. and anti-tank options. And then I was making a conscious effort each event to take something different. So it was like one event, I'll take my AT gun. Next mm -hmm. event, I'll take my howitzer. Next yeah. event, I'll take my AA gun. And you'll take, you know? a, you'll take a locust and you'll take a, yeah. a Sherman and you'll take a, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I just mixed it up. So I was taking, although the core of the army was the same, some events I was taking adding the well bikes exactly. so i was like i've got spare points let's put this unit two units three units on well bikes or let's change up the artillery so i was mixing it up each event now yeah. if i played someone every event they might have been like oh it's the same army i could be like oh no actually i'm running this this time not mm -hmm. this 
Um, so, you know, small changes like that can freshen things up as opposed to, oh, I'm running a fully mounted army this time. Oh, I'm running fully foot troops. And yeah. I think it also comes down to play groups, particularly the last couple of years with the way things have been, big events haven't been happening, people have been less likely to travel. You've probably been playing in a smaller group. Um, anecdotally, you know, most of my games have been against you, Brad. Hey. Um, and I think we're just fortunate we've both got a bit of variety, so we've been able to play and get a bit of... Um, difference there um, but i know for others as well i mean financially you know the cost of building an army can add up i just it does the other day uh i know you were involved in my group chat banging around some army ideas for a, an event uh, i'm looking at attending later in the year and just trying to come up with something different to what i've already got and i'm like i just painted the buffaloes but i want to run something different for this event um and i was pricing up so i, I wrote army list first price agnostic and then went and priced them up and I looked at the price of one of them and I went, oh my gosh, <laughs> yep. uh, I really can't justify spending that much on that force as cool as it would yeah. be. Maybe if I bought it over the year and I just chipped away at it, yeah, it'd be fine. But to lay it out at once, uh, probably a bit harsh. So I ended up going the budget route and buying something that was mostly plastic kits. Well, it's all plastic kits actually. Um, and I just sort of shopped around for, for deals online, um, but still spent several hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's before I've even got into basing, getting some resin parts for, you know, stowage and a few other bits and pieces. And I was fiddling around with it yesterday, and I think I'm actually going to have to get some more bodies for it, so I may need to even buy another box of troops. Yeah. And let's be clear, prices have risen in the last 12, 18 months. Um, Shipping costs have gone up. Exchange rates have fluctuated. Production costs have gone up. Inflation, all those sort of things. Uh, A vehicle that we might have paid $35 for started last year, you know, you're paying $45 now. Um, And that's just just the nature of economics, right? (laughs) You know, we used to get two two forty k rhinos for thirty bucks in a box back <laughs> in the nineties. I'm, I'm looking at that army bo- that uh, rhino box literally on my shelf right yeah. now as you're saying that. That's yeah. it. So you know, I mean, that, that's just inflation. But you know, one would hope that individuals are also earning significantly more now than what they were earning in the nineties. Exactly right. And uh, my salary is certainly more than my pocket money. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's all relative, and it's just how you choose to spend your time. And I think if you're going to, if you are interested, I spend far more time hobbying than I do playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, but I know other people that spend far more time playing than they do hobbying. Yeah, because they never paint their models. Um, <laughs> yeah, I need to spend a little bit more time playing and a little less time painting at the moment. But uh, it's painting is that wonderful zen at the end of a long work day where I can sit down for an hour paint a couple little bits and pieces and be like cool you know it helps me relax you know i get a couple of things done and i've started something this year talking to our buddy matt in the uk um, who paints hundreds of models a year it occurred to me that uh, i never keep track of how much i paint and so i've set a little hobby challenge for myself in 2022 where I'm going to try and paint 100 models this year. Um, I'm not going to hold myself to it. I'm not going to torture myself with it. And I started a month late. I I basically painted like three models in January and went, oh, that's really starting behind the eight ball. 
But we'll see what happens. If I make it, I make it. If I don't, I don't. But my goal is to paint all of them to the best of, or, you know, near the best of my ability. So I'm going to try and paint close to 100 character models this year, which given my hobby projects coming forward, I don't think is that unreasonable. And I've, I'm already on, I finished number 16 just now. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah. You know, I probably won't get to 100, but... I'm going to try and shoot for possibly two models a week. And if I stick to that, then I'll be very happy come the end of the year. I know there's going to be moments where I, I can't paint, but I also know there'll be weeks like this one coming up where I'm going to try and paint five different 10 millimeter mask vehicles in one week. And, you know, and that that is yeah a little bit to catch up on numbers, but also it's a little bit of fun and a little bit of a hobby challenge. I'm really excited to paint them. And I... I recently got, speaking of Rick, he recommended these magnifying LED lenses. Um, it's like a little, I guess it's, uh, I think they were most commonly seen in, what's that movie, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, where he's painting toy soldiers. Oh, and he's yeah. got that, yeah. like, he's got the, it, it clips onto little... your, the front of your face, and it's got little fold-down lenses, and you can change the magnification on them. Well, I picked those up pretty cheaply on eBay. Um, Rick sent me the link. He'd been using them. Um, and I've had a lot of trouble with my eyes in the last couple of years. And all of a sudden, I can see again. I feel like I've dropped 20 years in as far as being able to focus on miniatures again. And that was literally after I did that, I immediately pulled these mask vehicles out because I really wanted to paint them. But when I actually got them in the mail, they were so small, I could barely you know, focus my eyes on them unpainted, let alone painted. Uh, and I'm really happy with how the first one has come out. But now using these and trying to paint all the detail on these, uh, wow, uh, there's a lot of detail in there and it's really small. So uh, it's taking a little bit longer than I thought. Anyway, Lee, we can talk painting all day, but mm. let's talk Easter front. Now, last year you and I ran a bolt action tank wars event as sort of a warm up post COVID. Little did we know that we had a whole lot more lockdown coming, uh, and we have not actually had an event since. Now, I know that the TO from CanCon has been running a couple or will be running a couple of events, um, little one day events uh, at House of War, I believe. Uh, in Ringwood in the next couple of weeks to like to get people warmed up for bolt action. But I can't think of the last time we've had a two-day bolt action event in Melbourne, and that's going back a long time. I'm, I'm pretty excited for this. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm trying to think what we did last have a two-day event. Um, yeah. I, ironically, I think the very first bolt action event ever in Melbourne was when – uh, the LRDG podcast guys, uh, me being part of that crew, Dano flew over from a Secret Location from Bolt Action Radio. Brian Cook mm. flew down from Sydney. Marky Mark, Mark Unsworth came uh, from Melbourne's Far East. And we all got together and we played at Conquest, uh, the game convention. And that was the very first two-day slash any Bolt Action event in Melbourne. Now, I'm not sure if there's been any two days since then. Not one that I've played in, uh, and I'm I'm feel embarrassed if there has been one, and I can't think of it. I'm sorry, sorry guys, but this is a two day event, and it's at Conquest again, 
and I'm really excited to be doing it with you. This time, we're not going with the tank war, right? We're going for a more traditionalist. Yeah, regular bolt action. Um, so we've set, uh, we're going to do three games each day. Mm-hmm. Um, now, people don't have to play both days. If they want to register for a single day, they can do so. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're running it on the Saturday and the Sunday. Uh, I know from last year uh, when we did the Tank Wars, it was run on the Sunday, and that was mm-hmm. due to the table availability. Other events, uh, games we use in the tables, we required on the uh, Friday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just did it as a single, and that affected things because Easter Sunday, a lot of people have family commitments, which we understand. Um, so we're running a thousand and five points for something <laughs> different. I love it. Uh, cause I often find I'm making a list and I get to like 998 points and I'm like, I can't fit in an RSMG or a bar or something. I'm like, I wish I just had a couple more points. Mm-hmm. So I thought we'd add an extra five on top. Um, just for those people that want to add a little something somewhere. That's right. Uh, so we're going to run a mix of missions. We've got a few new missions we've been testing, play testing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, which are coming up good. Yep. The missions are, just to be clear, um, we're going to be, each day we'll be running two objective missions in one uh, victory point slash kill point mission where the object is to destroy your uh, opponent's units and then you get you get the dice, for example. Um, I'm trying to think. Maximum attrition is the mission in the bolt action rulebook. So we have two maximum um, attrition style missions over the weekend, but one each day. And then each day also has two objective missions. I have had people asking two two of the missions will be from straight out of the bolt action rulebook. Two of the missions over the weekend will be from the 2020 Bolt Action Alliance mission pack, and two will be brand new, and we will be playtesting for the Bolt Action Alliance mission pack 2022, which will be full of brand new missions. Now, I have been playtesting those over Christmas break, um, now that we're out of lockdown. Some of those have been with Lee, and some of them have been with some other Bolt Action friends, and I think they are running pretty smoothly, so it's not like we're throwing something rough as guts out and saying, hey guys, trip on this. Um, I think they are fairly straightforward, and more to the point, I think they're fun, and I'm looking forward to seeing what people say about the new missions. We're going to run one new mission each day, so you'll get a little bit of something something old, something older, and something brand spanking new um, each day of the event, so that you know, you'll know you get something that you're familiar with, and then you know, you'll get stretched a little bit as a player at the same time. Yeah, that's what we want to have. Exactly. Now, this is going to be Easter weekend, of course, which is April 16th and 17th. We have said no tank war events, please, but I believe it can be made, your forces can be made up from any generic reinforced platoon or they can be from any theater selector. That said, we are asking that, you know, this is supposed to be a friendly event and people not bring things that might be a little on the harsh side. We have had people sending some lists in and asking some questions. We're happy to answer those questions, especially since they're going to Lee. <laughs> mm. um, but uh, please send us your lists and we can tell you exactly um, whether or not we think. I know that we had one person turn on a list and we're like, hey, um, you know, this is a great list. Um, you might, you know, tighten up this bit a little bit um, because, you know, it it was vaguely historically themed but they also you know could have made things maybe a little harder so they you know it works both ways we're not just going to say hey your list is 
too hard. Um, we want people to have a good time, and we want people to have effective army lists on the table. I mean, if the, if a player is really excited about their list, we want them to run it, as long as it isn't at the expense of someone else. Now, this isn't going to be your standard tournament in that um, we're going to be giving out a first place, second place, third place trophy. Uh, we will have six trophies on the day. There will be a best Axis player. There will be a best Allied player. There will be a best Minor Power player. There will be a best Sports. Uh, and we are very passionate about good sportsmanship. Um, and there will be... Um, yeah. We need to talk about how sportsmanship will impact the best player trophies because there's been a lot of controversy about that in bolt action in the last 12 months, at least here in Australia, and um, we'll, we'll see what that does on the day. Um, we will also have a best painted army and a best themed army. Now, the best painted army will be determined by players in the event. We do not want the TO to pick his buddy's army. We, we want it to be uh, as fair as possible. But we will be, um, the TOs will be getting together and discussing who has the best theme. Um, so you probably want to have some sort of explanation of your army list when you turn it in. So we know what your theme is and we can be uh, wowed and amazed by it and think, wow, that's cool. So we can give you a trophy. Uh, Lee, anything you want to add to that? No, I think you've covered it all off. Registration's open now. Uh, we've got an event set up on Facebook for it uh it's literally called easter front 2022 mm -hmm. uh we've posted in the bolt action australia new zealand group as well about it um but yeah if you just search for the event uh, which is linked through there and then you can get to the registration uh please do it online beforehand and submit your list so we know who's coming mm -hmm. uh, and we can work off that and just to be clear, this is a 30-player maximum event. Uh, I actually, I know in the past I've said, oh, wouldn't it be great if we have maximum players and we sell it instantly? Is it bad that I am actually just going, it'd be cool if we get like 15 players? I think it'd be a nice mix. <laughs> be a lot easier. Um, but the uh, our terrain collection, both yours and mine, Lee, has grown exponentially over lockdown. So I'm excited to throw down a whole lot of new tables for players to play on. Um, I think we have some really interesting tactical uh, situations that people can work out on the tabletop uh, using the missions that we're talking about. And yeah, man, I think it's going to be rad. Uh, yes, it'll be awesome if we have 30 players. If you people want to come from interstate, we can help, uh, you know, talk to them about, you know, accommodation and how to get to where they're going. So mm -hmm. please do contact us. Um, again, 30 player max cap. We could probably break that if we need to, but unlike past events, we're definitely not trying to. Um, but, you know, if it, if it happens, that'd be awesome. Now, sponsors. We have had uh, an unbelievably generous outpouring of prizes from different sponsors, who some of whom have sponsored us in the past and some of who are brand new, and we're really excited uh, that everyone's getting behind us to help support Melbourne Bolt Action uh, of course, War and Peace Games, the local distributor for Warlord Games, they're just fantastic. We love those guys. They've always been supportive of us. And just like they've always been, they will continue or they are continuing to support us through this event. And, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I ordered tons of stuff through them during lockdowns. And since, uh, they are just amazing. And for those, speaking of some of the terrain, Battlefield in a Box, that's where I get all of my stuff from. It's awesome. Uh, talk to them. Give him a call. Talk to Ian. He'll sort you out. 
Um, we also have AnyScale Models, uh, a company out of the UK that makes different uh, 156 and other scale uh, resin models. I have a bunch of their vehicles. I really like them. They're cool. Um, I've gotten some great um, field cars and truck models. And they do some strange tanks that other companies don't make, some of the rare, weirder stuff. So, yeah, any scale models, man. If you haven't seen them before, check them out. They are cool. Now, a lot of you have heard me speaking to Paul at Empress Miniatures recently. Um, now, Empress is going to be supporting us through um, Elite Miniatures, who are the well, they, they make many of their own models as well, but they are the local distributor for uh, Empress Miniatures. I've been ordering tons of my Vietnam models from Empress through Elite over the years. And yeah, they have tons of World War II models, plus lots of others, Napoleonics, Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera. Awesome stuff. Elite Miniatures, Australia, super great. Um, now... If you look at pictures of this event and you think, wow, those tables look great, it's often because the tables are covered with game mats, and almost every single one of those game mat is from Geek Villain. And Geek Villain are also sponsoring this event. They'll be donating an event, uh, I believe, a game mat to this event, which is unbelievably generous. I'm, I, I can't say how much I, I am blown away by that. They also have a Kickstarter going right now, so if you haven't checked them out, Geek Villain, love their stuff. Um, and of course, if we're talking about people whose stuff we love, Viv at Knights of Dice, Lee, all of your miniatures are laser cut into cases by Viv. Um, I love well, the, the cases are laser cut, not the miniatures. Sorry, yeah, the, the cases, <laughs> the, the, the spots for the miniatures in the cases are laser cut to literal precision and god i have been buying his pin markers and his mdf terrain for years top tier stuff knights of dice again if you haven't seen it absolutely outstanding and all of the buildings for our new jungle table for the event that we'll be running on easter are from knights of dice they are outstanding so uh, i can't wait to show those off Again, if you haven't seen Viv stuff, please go to Knights of Dice, and that's Knights with a K, K-N-I-G-H-T-S. So good. And, of course, um, Warlord Games. Now, Warlord Games isn't directly supporting us other than creating this awesome game that we love to talk about and we love to play. Um, however, uh, the Warlord official podcast, uh, the other podcast on this network, is sponsoring because... Uh, I'm using my pay from the Warlord cast to sponsor this event. So there you go. So if you haven't listened to the Warlord Official Games uh, official podcast, please listen to it on this network because they will be sponsoring Easter Front. Woo. Sorry, Lee, I've been talking a lot. But we it is a really exciting list of sponsors, and there's going to be so many prizes for people. I'm just really it's just great to see this outpouring of support for local events, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we've been, been away for a while and um, I think, well, I know you and I have certainly supported the, a lot of the local uh, producers mm -hmm. um, in that time, given the piles that have accumulated. <laughs> yep. um, so, you know, it's great that they're still there and I think that's a, it's a good thing um, knowing that a lot of other businesses haven't, 
survived in the last few years. Um, but, you know, it'll be good to actually get together and play some games and see people and hopefully we get a, a good turnout. I've had a few messages from people today after we posted up around the uh, rego now being open um, that are signing up, so that's good. Brilliant. Brilliant. Hopefully it'd be great to fill up. Well, guys, I will also be sharing the player pack information on the Cast Dice website, and I'll be doing that on uh, – it will be on the page by the time this episode goes live. I'm sure I'll post it a couple of times. Uh, but if you are in the Melbourne area or you are in Australia and you can make your way down for Easter weekend, even if it's for one day, uh, we would love to have you, and we would love to uh, kickstart the Melbourne Bolt action scene uh, back into gear. Now, I know, again, Drew – uh, the TO from CanCon this year will be also running some one-day events, uh, I think two weeks before ours at House of War. Um, that, of course, will also be great, uh, and it's just wonderful to have events running in Melbourne again, and I'm hoping that uh, we see see a couple before next Easter. But uh, please swing by and play some games. We'd love to see you. Lee, anything else you'd like to add? No, I think that's about it. Well, ladies and gentlemen... When we start uh, talking about events that we hope that are running in the year to come, I think it's probably time to stop speculating and uh, possibly get to planning. So I may let you go. I have had a couple of people ask um, if I've been all right, given that the show has um, taken a couple of weeks off here and there. And then there's been a couple of other weeks where there's been two shows. Uh, I'm just trying to catch up on the weeks that I've missed. Work has been fairly intense at the beginning of the school year um, as we walk off uh, the, the last couple of years of lockdowns and whatnot. Uh, and as a primary school teacher, I'm, I'm just super busy and uh, actually pretty exhausted, as you can probably hear from my voice. Uh, the show will continue. Uh, and yes, I do have lots of great stuff planned. I, I do have to publicly apologize. I did have the Bearded Wargamer from the Sounds of Battle podcast on, and we did record a wonderful episode. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the audio was garbage, and I was so tired that I actually <laughs> wrecked that episode. I, I really do owe um, our good buddy Reese an apology, and I hope that he'll be able to come on again soon. But um, again, I, I hope to have the show coming to you regularly in the weeks and months to come. Anyway, without further ado, as our old buddy Casey always says, when you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.